Episode 120, Dennis Bernstein, what's happening? A nice even number, John. Great to yes. talk to you on a Saturday before this huge road trip, this mega important road trip for the Kings. But let's get to episode 120. Yes, it's going to be a great road trip because uh, you're going to some of the, the the better cities, I think, on the East Coast. I mean, when you're going to you're going to New York, you're going to get to play the Rangers. You get the new building with the Islanders. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that's happening. It's just weird to me, though, that the road trip ends in Detroit. It's like it, Detroit yeah. just doesn't fit in that right. in that sweep or in that circle. I'm I'm used to maybe like going to Boston or maybe Philly or sure. maybe even Washington right. on that loop there, but uh, that's usually like a Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis exactly. Yeah. It's it's, it's and I, actually, you know, they're going to be staying at the team's going to be staying in in Lower Manhattan for 6 days. So when they play those 3 games in the metro area, they're not traveling. So they're going to be staying in a hotel downtown, and then I'm I'm going to try to sneak out to the uh, the Pittsburgh game, that Sunday afternoon game, uh, depending on what happens with uh, my Rams and 49ers, and there's a home game next week in LA. But uh, yeah, just a really important road trip here going forward, John. Wouldn't be a bad gig for the Rams to uh, to win this weekend and then host that game. So to play the oh. NFC Championship game at home and then play the Super Bowl at home, that would be pretty fantastic. That's not doesn't yeah, happen very often, Dennis. No, it doesn't happen. It rarely happens. I think what Tampa did it. I think that although I know they won in, in Green Bay, so they didn't do it. But yeah, so that would definitely uh, take my trip to Pittsburgh off uh, off the docket if I did, the Rams do find a way to get a home game next week. Did you hear this week also? Uh, just to touch on the NFL real quickly, that um, it's back in the news again. The potential of doing a five city loop on the the Super Bowl, where um, it basically would be in like L.A. every five years. It was, oh, rotation! No, yeah, I didn't hear rotation. That. Uh, they have like L.A., Miami, uh, New Orleans, and I forget where mm-hmm. the other two. Uh, probably uh, uh, Jerry's house in Dallas, and then maybe one Arizona, other. maybe. Yeah. Arizona or Vegas, yeah, something well, like that. John, but. I tell you, I've been to games all season. That playoff game was just electric, amazing. Um, they had great entertainment. They had Warren G and uh, Montel Jordan <laughs> entertaining at halftime. It, it, the atmosphere for a, a playoff game, much less a Super Bowl, that's a, an ama- it's going to be an amazing stadium for uh, – uh, for the Super Bowl, plus that halftime entertainment. The, hey, like, you get Dr. Dre back in the house, and uh, bro, I'm tuning oh, in. This is a halftime, right? Halftime Even show. John will tune in. Mayor go. approved. Absolutely, 100. <laughs> percent I can't wait. Uh, Dennis, we have a lot to get to on today's program. Yep. Uh, there's, you know, certainly some news going around the National Hockey League. Let's touch on that before we bring in our guest in the second period, John Andrasic, five for fighting. Uh, he's certainly connected to the NHL on the music scene. He's played a couple of different events, including Luke's retirement party that took place. 
Ah, well, a long time ago, Dennis. That time time flies when you're having fun. But we'll we'll talk with John about that. He's a huge Kings fan, so we'll uh, we'll enjoy our conversation with him, I'm sure. But around the NHL, a couple of key things, Dennis. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday morning, January 22nd. Last night, friend of the program, yes. uh, Mike Stuthers, made his debut behind the bench. I don't care if it's an interim coach situation, Dennis. Stutz was behind the bench. He was a head right. coach in the National Hockey League uh, with with Dallas Eakins and COVID protocol. Man, that was a classic Stutz performance by the Anaheim Ducks last night, DB. I don't know if you watched the game or not, but they came out. They're up 3 nothing. What yeah. do they do in the third period? They come out and really put their their foot on the neck of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they go 4 nothing. Uh, and then John Cooper ends up pulling the goalie with seven minutes left, and Nick Delorier, which is, I mean, if there ever was a uh, Mike Stuthers-type player, Nick Delorier yeah. is that classic throwback player. He scores the empty net goal. The Ducks end up winning. Uh, I did talk to Stutz after the game. I'm sure he did. Even yeah, of course. Uh, but it was nice to see him in person. I mean, that the the press conference was officially on Zoom, but uh, uh, Stutz and I were able to connect face to face after the game last night, which was great. Uh, anytime you spend five minutes with Mike Stuthers, it, it, it's a good day, Dennis. Yeah, and he looked good behind the bench with the with the hairdo and the mask and stuff. And I immediately thought, okay, so Mayor's going to talk to this guy after the game, win, lose, or. <laughs> Well, it's win or lose. There's no draws in the NHL, but that's just the first thing. Oh boy, there's going to be a reunion there. But yeah, good to see it. And they, John, that that was probably their best game of the season, oh, given the level sure. of competition and, and and the way they really dominated play. That was uh, they were scary good last night in Anaheim for for Stuthers. Well, he was mayor approved last night too. He's wearing the black suit, right? Yeah. He had the black yeah. jacket on. He, he had the black good, tie. He he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Uh, he knew I'd be the lying mayor was if- around. Uh, well, I'd be lying if I said that we weren't texting earlier in the day. So uh, he he knew he knew what's up and uh, he knew what to wear as well. So good for him. Uh, but Dennis, in terms of the performance on the ice, uh, the Ducks, who obviously uh, for anybody paying attention, came out of the gates strong and hard earlier this year, and they they were really in that playoff picture, and they had seemed to have fallen on hard times recently. Yeah. But man, what a statement win last night! And you're right, it, it was it was their best win, their biggest win of the year, and it was just an impressive. Overall performance, you're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, which are, you know, they're the latest version of the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s or the Penguins of the 90s or the Red Wings of the 2000s. I mean, in terms of dominant teams in the league, that's Mm -hmm. the Tampa Bay Lightning and Anaheim. They brought it. And you're getting goals, you know, you're getting a pair of goals from uh, from Derek Grant. He's not exactly known as uh, the Timu Solani of the Ducks, if you will. Yeah, no. And John, I'll be honest with you. When I watched Tampa play in L.A. on Thursday night, I know that Carolina's a really super strong team in Florida. I love potentially. But when I look at this team and I see John Cooper behind the bench and I see Victor Hedman dominate on Thursday and I see oh. Vasilevsky didn't have a good game, I'm like, who's really beating this team four out of seven if they're healthy? So it's going to be – the East is going to be crazy good. Uh, but to me, yeah, to beat, as you mentioned, that level of competition for Anaheim. And the game, John, they needed it. You're right. They were going in the other direction, right? They had a great start. They hit a they hit a valley, which happens in seasons. Yep. Uh, but that was a gr- that was a really nice response last night against the team who I think could easily be a three peat team in the NHL. Yeah, and Stutz being Stutz, uh, even after a big victory, after giving praise to John Gibson, who he's been extremely impressed with, and and he should be. Uh, he wanted to immediately talk about the fact that the team took eight penalties, which I'll be honest with you. What I said to him, I go, "You did," and he had the sheet in his hand, and we were looking at it. I didn't realize because it just no. didn't feel like a game where they took eight penalties, right. but I guess they did, and they killed off seven of the power plays. So uh, pretty crazy stuff. But this is Kings of the podcast, not Ducks yes. of the podcast. So correct. Uh, let's move on. We'll continue to hit a couple of the NHL uh, uh, headlines here, though. DB, 
Clark Gillies, longtime yeah. important member of the New York Islanders who uh, who passed here at the end of the week. And I uh, just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that and your connections to to that neck of the woods there in New York. Yeah, I was there last season during a playoff run. And, and that's a great thing about the Islanders of that that era. They all went there uh, from different parts of North America. They all won championships, four champions together, and they put down roots there. So when you went and I went was in the club during the game, you see Bobby Nystrom, you see Eddie Westfall, you see uh, saw Glock Gillies, and he looked healthy. And this was just a year ago, so it was this was a sudden passing. Who a guy who was very very impactful, who was connected to the community. It was, it's a big loss. You see all the players like Matt Martin give tributes to, to Clark Gillies. So that that's. That's hockey culture too, John. So just the fact that he was there and he was an integral part. And I, I remember, because I'm old enough to remember, John, and go back to 1979 when the uh, NHL All-Stars played the Russians at Madison Square Garden. And I was sitting behind the, sitting second row behind the goal. And at that point in 79, they had won championships. They had been really talented, but didn't do well in the playoffs. Didn't think much of the Chartier and, and, and uh, Bossy and Gillies. They took a phase off on a power play, and within five seconds, the puck was in back of the net. So that combination of those three players were just amazing. He was a gentle giant of the guy. He was a guy you wouldn't want to mess with. So it's a big loss for the Islanders in the Long Island community today with uh, Clark Gillies passing. Yeah, for sure. The outpouring of uh, emotions and tributes and comments yep. on Twitter uh, have been pretty well phenomenal. Uh, and, and, yeah, well-deserved. You're absolutely right. So uh, our, our thoughts and prayers to to his family and his friends and, uh, you know, his former teammates and, and everybody who, you know, is pretty bummed out today uh, because, hey, there's never a good time to lose somebody, Dennis. And so whenever yeah. it happens, whether you were expecting it or not, it, it's always jarring at that point and uh, comes with a flood of emotions and feelings and, and they don't go away in just a couple of hours. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do want to mention as well, we're, we're talking about people in the morning. I want to say a couple of words about Brian Blessing, my friend who passed very suddenly a couple of weeks ago, which was a, a stunning loss to, our family we became friends with him, and the Vegas community. He was an integral part of the hockey community in Vegas. So I just want to say a, a couple of words um, to his wife Marie, who's uh, dealing with COVID right now, and she's been hospitalized. But that was a, oh, a pretty significant loss as well. And like you said, John, there's never a great time to lose a friend. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that you and I uh, had talked about that uh, immediately following, and uh, yep. you know, again, my thoughts are with you, and like you said, his wife, but. Uh, he had become an important part that the Vegas hockey community, you know, they're an up, even though they found success as a franchise early on, that is a pretty tight knit community there that they built in yep. a, and a good, a good, it's become a good hockey city, Dennis. They have a passionate fan base who rallies around that team and supports mm -hmm. that team, not only on game night, but practices as well. And also sure. through the media, their engagement, they have a, a really good hockey community there in Vegas. And, and Brian was a big part of that and a big, a big proponent of, uh, of that team there. Agreed. Okay, uh, awkward transition, as we say, Dennis, to uh, another topic that is a difficult yeah. topic. It's not a fun topic, but no. whew, the gong show that's going on up in Edmonton, Dennis. Um, I wanted to bring this up because there were some text messages flying around between us two and some other people this week when it was happening. Uh, the press conference, of course, by now I'm sure that most of our, our, our listeners mm -hmm. have... Uh, have become aware of what happened there and the media getting into it, uh, you know, with one of the players. And um, it wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look for the media. It wasn't a good look for the player. But here's my Agreed. comment, Dennis. Mm -hmm. this, this, and I want to get your take on this. And I've, I've reserved talking to you about this privately because I wanted to have this conversation publicly Great. Uh, in its purest organic form. And I think we agree. Um, the, the, the players, excuse me, the players don't owe the media anything. They don't owe them an explanation. They don't owe them 
a reply to their feelings. They don't owe them to their, uh, you know, their mm -hmm. thoughts on the game or their thoughts on the organization. It's about building a relationship, right? And it's something that you and I have talked a lot about through the years, the importance of building relationships with players and understanding when to, when to press, when to back off, when to be supportive, when to be critical. It's no different than any other interpersonal relationship that you have with somebody. And it has to be dealt with with respect. And where I'm going with this, Dennis, is mm -hmm. I think that one of the real challenges of the last couple of years uh, is doing all of these Zoom calls. It has, it has deteriorated and almost eliminated that relationship that we have as media um, that we're privileged to have, right? But that we do have with players, mm -hmm. with coaches, with, with anybody involved in the organization. I just, I don't feel connected, Dennis. And, and going mm -hmm. to a practice, it doesn't necessarily help, right? It's that day-to-day -day interaction that we used to have as media with players and with coaches that allowed you to have that relationship and that allowed you really to have those side conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Where you kind of worked things out on the side uh, that that provided context, another word that's so important here. So I could talk for an hour on this topic, Dennis, right. because I just feel so passionately about it. And I think that most of the hot takes that I was seeing on Twitter, they were annoying me because I thought they were really missing the issue or, or, or two of the issues. One is, Guys, the players don't owe the media anything. So, you know, that's just, that's nonsense to me, Dennis. Yeah, well, and, that, and there's a lot to unpack there. There's two different topics. The first one about not owing. Right now, and it's it's sports, but it's not hockey. If you watch, I've been watching uh, Man in the Arena, which is Tom Brady's uh, a series on ESPN.com. And he has an episode that is titled Nobody's Business. And in that episode, they talk about he talks about some of the stuff you don't need to know, and you're not going to know. It's none of your business. And I choose to talk what I want to talk about. Uh, on the second point, John, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we disagree quite often. I couldn't agree with you more. I will tell you, if the locker rooms were open, I would suggest to you that thing between Matheson and Drysaddle never happens because, like you said very eloquently, you'd have that five minute conversation, you'd clear the air, and it would be over with. In this antiseptic you know, uh, atmosphere of Zoom calls. And even here in LA, we get access, but it's, you know, five minutes behind the rope. We don't get to talk to everybody. They, it's one or two players. Like we've totally lost that. So look, you and I both have a relationship with players that we can lean into right now, but we can't develop a relationship with, well, maybe with Quentin Byfield because you've been around him, but, but anybody new that comes up, a Sammy Fagamo, anybody at this level, you can't do it right now because you might get them once every three weeks because there's a rotation. Like, I, I, how, do, how do we win and how do the fans win if we can only talk to Drew Doughty once every three weeks mm -hmm. as opposed to every after every game, when mm -hmm. they're playing well and when they're not playing well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's totally impacted this. And it's unfortunate because I agree with you. There were no winners in that in, in, exchange between Drysaddle and Matheson. They both could have handled it better, but I get it. I understand it because we're in this weird area of media coverage. This is what we get. So yeah. I, I think that Leon would probably have regrets. I'm sure well, Jim may not because I know Jim, but maybe he doesn't have any regrets. <laughs> but but that, that, that was, John, this was bound to happen yeah. because of the lack of context. Like you said, you don't, it, the relationships are not the same. And this was this business. John, you know this. You're a businessman. So am I. Like, it's about relationships. It's yeah. not about, okay, your power play stunk or you've lost eight in a row. It's about the relationships that you can extract a conversation with people with. And it's just really not possible most of the time right now.
And it's through those relationships, Dennis, that I think that you're able to have critical conversations. You're able to say right. things critically, right? Um, use a Kyle Clifford, for example. I, I feel more comfortable being critical of Kyle Clifford's game because he's going to, mm -hmm. I don't want to say he's going to respect my opinion, but he's going to at least respect me as a person enough to engage in a dialogue and have a conversation where right. doing that with Phil Deneau, who I have no relationship with, Dennis, I have zero right. relationship with Phil yeah. Deneau, of no fault of his own. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he is. any interaction that we've had has been very minimal and controlled. And, and, and it's been, like you said, behind a rope and, you know, King's PR staff, they've done a great job of trying to bridge that gap. And, you know, we had Phil on the program and we, yeah. we had a long 30 plus minute conversation with them. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, right after signing in Los Angeles and all that sort of stuff. But it's not like when Dustin Penner was traded to the L.A. Kings and literally at practice, I could sit in the locker stall yeah. next to him and we would right. sit and shoot the shit for, you know, 20 minutes. Like it's just it's different. And sometimes different is good, Dennis. Sometimes different is different. And sometimes different is bad. And right now, this different to me is bad. And again, it's nobody's fault. I don't blame PR. Mm -hmm. I don't blame the player. No. I don't blame the media. It's just different. And it's sad to me. That's really what I guess what yeah. I wanted to say, Dennis. I watched that exchange and it was just sad to me that that's the deterioration that has existed right, great. right now uh, between players and media. And, and maybe, maybe I feel sad about it because it's kind of how I feel about our relationship with this current LA Kings team, right? Like, like mm -hmm. you said, we can lean into the relationships that we've built through the years, a Brownie or a Kopi or whoever, mm -hmm. right? But they just, they're not there with an Ardvidsson or a Deneau or. No. They're just players on the team. It makes it difficult to, in some ways you would think that you're, you're more objective because you don't have those relationships. And I don't know if this makes any sense, Dennis, but to me, it almost becomes less objective because you don't have a personal connection to the story. You don't have the context. I like yeah. the context. I like the yeah, story totally. behind the story. And to me, that allows me to be more objective or maybe more insightful is the word. Maybe, maybe I'm using the wrong word. Maybe it's, it's insightful that I'm looking to use instead of objective, Dennis. To me, they're just like, they're players on the team, but they're mm -hmm. almost not part of the team. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And this is not us whining about lack of... of no. Of, of access at this point in time. This is just how how you storytell and how and, and I think to your point, John, I, I totally get it because you may have a conversation with a player today, yeah. one on one, that maybe had give you context in two weeks. That's yes. the thing. It's not about yes. so oh yeah, we talked about this two weeks ago and then this happened, and you could connect the dots. You can't do that now. And that's unfortunate and that impacts our coverage and it impacts growing the game, and it's something that hopefully once we get past this, and I think we're getting closer and closer to being past it, and I kidded with the with the Kings PR. I said, oh, by the way, so you guys are on, you know, testing every day now, so by March you're going to let us back in the room, right? And, yeah, I wasn't really <laughs> met with – it was met with a laugh because it was set in a joking manner, but I think that's what that's what fans miss out on because we don't have that access to – to gather the full story. And like you said, a story isn't told in one conversation, John. It's the series of stories. It's the relationship that you talk about. So I couldn't agree with you more. It's absolutely, in this case, like you said, different is bad. Yeah, and you just said it so so perfectly, Dennis. And and really, it's it's the building of the stories. It's the little anecdotes. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the thread, right? It's the little story totally. here that connects to this story that connects to this story. And later in the year, there's going to be a story. And right now, again, not complaining. Not no. blaming PR, not blaming the league, not blaming anybody. I'm just, I'm trying to take 
fans behind the curtain a little bit and talk right. about what it's like as media trying to cover things now in this day and age compared to before. You know, uh, it, it's just it's just different. And like I said, sometimes different can be good or it can be just different. Um, but to me, this this is this is bad because we're yeah. we're not able to to bring stories, even positive stories to light in the way that we once did. And I'm really looking forward to to things changing um, because, yeah, just being able to talk to a player over Zoom or behind a behind a, a six foot, you know, uh, railing, you know, mm -hmm. and ask about the power play. You know, there's a time and a place for that in, 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 in media and in reporting, but that's just not really who you and I are as as storytellers, Dennis. And John, and that's how it and how it manifests itself is you have a guy who's a hockey hall of fame writer and an MVP like going at it. Like they should probably be the two least people to go at it. <laughs> right. Right. It should be a fourth liner and a guy who's just covering the beat as a rookie. Like to me, right. that's the consequence of all this. Is that two guys at the, the top echelon of what they do are having a public spat, and that's the consequence of this all. This is the Look, uh, enough on period. that, though, Dennis, because yeah. I'm sure there are a ton of listeners here who would uh, like to move on from our long conversations about the Anaheim Ducks and now the Edmonton Oilers <laughs> and even the New York Islanders to a certain extent, and people want to talk about the LA Kings. So uh, why don't we get to a break real quick, Dennis, and on the other side of the break, there is a gentleman waiting to talk to us who wants to talk a lot about the LA Kings. He's a longtime, multi-decade LA Kings fan. He's been around the organization for a long time and I think we'll be able to uh, open him up to tell some uh, some pretty good stories, Dennis. I'm talking about John Andrasic from Five for Fighting, and he'll be with us right after the break. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. We are joined today. It's been a long time. It seems like lately a lot of our guests, it's taken a while to get the uh, the booking confirmed, but here we are. John Andrasic, Five for Fighting. John, welcome to the program. Mayor Dennis, my fellow Kings fans, great to be with you. Well, uh, look, let's just start with, uh, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, right? You are a right. diehard LA Kings fan. I think that anybody that follows the team on Twitter and is sort of in the Kings universe, uh, they know about your fandom. I want to go back to, it's been a while, but I want to start with something that was way back. When I first met you, and you probably don't even remember meeting me that day, but it was at Luke's retirement party, which I was in, uh, it was at the Four Seasons or something in Marina Del Rey, uh, and, and you played that night. And I remember walking in, there was this big, well, to me, it was a big grand piano that was on stage, and then you uh, performed later that night. I'm just curious for you what that's like. You've played in, you know, big facilities, played in front of a lot of people before, but as a Kings fan, you're playing, and all of the LA Kings greats were in the building that night. You know, you're right. It, it's uh, I've, I've been so blessed to play so many incredible NHL events. And knowing I was coming on your, your podcast today, I was kind of thinking about some of those. But there will be nothing like that night with Luke. Um, the, funny, the funny thing is, you know, it was the first time I'd met him. And I walked in and him and Stacia were there and we were talking. And, the, and I'll never forget this. I love telling the story. Luke never connected 
my band name Five for Fighting with hockey <laughs> until that <laughs> night. <laughs> and that and that is so Luke. It, it, right. And I, of course, he, I don't know, you know, he's got maybe, you know, two fights, if you want to even call them that. But I was just dying laughing that he's like, oh, my God, I just connected Five for Fighting. So that was so sweet because I wasn't there because of Five for Fighting. But, you know, Superman was uh, an important song to him when he was when he was traded. Um, so and that led to us being dear friends. But you're right to be able to hang. I was I, I was like a groupie, um, you know, at the Grammys, you know, and but way more impressed, uh, you know, to, to be able to hang out with Bernie Nichols, to take a picture with Bob Miller, you know, to to talk to Marty McSorley. You go down the list. My favorite player is, you know, John Dave Taylor, you know, number 18, um, just to walk around and say thank you and 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 have a beer with those guys. There'll be nothing that uh, ever exceeds that night as, as a massive Kings fan. And and uh, I'm glad you were there. I still have to I still go back and look at pictures once in a while because it was so special. And and many of those folks at, at, at that uh, at that uh, uh, celebration have become friends. Yeah, it's uh, what's interesting about that night. And, you know, a lot of fans don't know this because it wasn't a highly publicized event. People don't really know. But like it was a who's who of L.A. Kings history. I don't think there's really ever been another event like that. Maybe the first hockey fest in Los Angeles where so many of the former Kings were brought back. But I mean, you go down the line. Uh, you know, Butch Goring. I mean, just you could go on and on and on. I mean, Lappy, who was still playing at the time and flew in and then had to fly fly out again to go play. Just so many big names that were there. You mentioned your 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 affection for Dave Taylor. W was that the one guy that night that you met and that you talked with and that you just walked away from and been like, I can't believe I was just rubbing elbows with that guy tonight? Certainly one of them. Um, you know, Bob Miller, too, you know, for us Kings fans. And Nick Nixon. You know, I put Nick right there with, with Bob, you know, to be able to meet them and, and just say thank you. And, of course, Marty, Five for Fighting, you know, you know those are fun. <laughs> Um, you know, the pumpernickel, Jim Fox, such a great guy. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave was special to me because, you know, I, I was going to Kings games in the, in the early eighties. I was there when Luke was a rookie. We were season ticket holders for 30 days. You know, I remember watching Marcel, Dave, Charlie on the triple crown line, you know, so, so that's where like, where my love for hockey, uh, was fomented and, uh, to, to be with those folks, even though they never got the, you know, some of them to get the acclaim of, of, of the Waynes and the Lukes, you know, those to me are like the LA Kings, you know, and, and uh, no, it, it was, it was surreal. And I'll always be, you know, uh, very blessed to have been chosen to do that night. And it's so funny. I, I really get nervous for gigs, but I was nervous that night. <laughs> like you look out and you see all these guys out there. And also they're like, who's this guy? What's this guy? So I just started dropping L.A. King stories, and all of a sudden they're like, all right, he's one of us. <laughs> right, right. Hey, John, I think if I recall properly, in the first cup run, you were doing, you were touring and you were trying to get uh, feeds or, or broadcasts from the bus. Was that, is that, am I recalling properly? Yeah, you know, it, in uh, what, what, again, talking about fate, uh, you know, I'd started writing for Sports Illustrated on hockey. Um, kind of in around 2010, 2011, and I don't know why they had me, but I guess the name Five for Fighting. So I started writing about sports and hockey, and then Luke asked me if I wanted to blog the 2012 run. Mm -hmm. And the first is the first piece I wrote was why not this year, and everybody laughed at me. You know, you're crazy. 
So I got to kind of be a fly on the wall. I went to Arizona for one of the playoff games, um, kind of got some access like that you guys have. And to, to, again, to watch, to watch the team was great, but also to watch Dean and watch Luke and uh, what they were going through emotionally. And, you know, when they won the cup, you know, I'm probably like you guys, I cried like a baby. And then that night to go, you know, I, what hotel there in downtown LA Live was to go to the party, and you know, just again, it's it's just real to, to talk to to Dustin Brown and and Kopey and you know Justin Williams, you know, two days after they win the Stanley Cup, and they're so humble and just chill. I mean, yeah. again, it's just highlights of my life. And yeah, to be able to blog that 2012 season, um, you know, was just again a, a blessing and 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 fate, you know, I guess rewarding my 30 years of season ticket holding. <laughs> yeah, and, and the two cup wins, you know, the, the games that clinched them were very different, right? You had Marty, yeah. Jazz Hand, double overtime. But the first one, and as a fan, you had time to consume that, right? It's 6-1, Matt Green's even scoring. So, like, in those final minutes, like, before the cup comes on the ice, like, you said you cried like a baby. Like, was going what was going through your mind? Like, this was never going to happen. This is a dream that's actualized over your long fandom. Like, what were your feelings before the game ended? But it was already decided that they were going to win. No, you're right. You know, when when Scuderi hit took that, you know, that major, yeah. and uh, and I think it was Jeff Carter scored to go up. I think three to one or four to one. I was I was literally my seats are right there, and you know you never know till you know. It's the L.A. Kings, but you kind of had a sense of. <laughs> you know, okay, this could actually happen. But yeah, you know, I, I remember two things of that, that run. I remember when we were going to beat St. Louis and, uh, and it, it was a clinching game. And the last three minutes, I'd never heard the crowd go insane like we did that, that, that series. Because I think people felt, oh my God, this could be it. Mm -hmm. And then you're right, those last three minutes um, and everybody saying, go Kings, go. And we know we're just waiting to see who hugs Quickie first. Um, and I was with my parents, which was so wonderful. You know, sure. again, I'd been going to games with my parents. I was with my wife. Um, 2014, I made sure I had my son next to me because, uh, you know, you never know if these gonna, this could be the ones. But, yeah, I never thought we'd win. I never thought we'd win, especially, you know, that year we barely made the playoffs. I right. never thought I'd see it. You know, we'd seen a million Laker parades. I never thought we'd see it. And to this day, you know, when, when they play the national anthem and we look up and we see those banners swinging up there, I still have to pinch myself. And I shouldn't say this. And Luke would not let me say this. If we never win another one, you know, I might be annoyed. But the fact that we got those, that first one and then a second one, you know, I'll take it because I never thought we'd see it. You, you talked about being nervous looking out into the crowd and seeing all of you know the players that you were a fan of uh at the at the luke event but what about a different time that you've played because you've played a few nhl events uh at the heritage classic it, it's obviously a much different experience the weather is a factor there's you know tens of thousands forty thousand fans that are there w were you nervous or what was the experience like you know just contrast the two well you know it's interesting the few that that i've played the the uh the Heritage Classic in Calgary, that was more of just a survival moment because it was like <laughs> literally 30 below windshield yeah, and rough. it was live TV. Don Cherry introduced us. Um, and so you're literally counting down five, four, three, two, one, and we're playing the song Chances. And 
we'd learned in soundcheck that we couldn't get through the song not through singing but with our hands would freeze so wow. by the second third minute your hands especially for my guitar player so we had these huge heat fans on the side of the stage and literally we're holding our hands on literally roasting our hands to get through wow. it but it was so fun and then and then of course at the end which i always do on these live things and i i, I get yelled at by the producers but at the end i yell go kings even though the kings are playing <laughs> and then i start getting pelted with snowballs from all the fans you know to me that was even more fun than the performance um you know when i did the all-star game the first performance i did for the nhl was the 2002 all-star game yep. in la that one was surreal for two reasons one you had to move a stage on the center of the ice, sing a song, and get off in five minutes. Mm. So I'd never seen anything like that. But that game was where I really fell in love with hockey players. Because before the game, I was kind of down in the basement and, you know, with everybody kind of getting ready. And my my wife, and we had two little babies then. And the players, as you know, in the All-Star game, they all line up and, you know, they wait. And Steve Eiserman, Steve Eiserman, Pavel Bure, Pavel Bure. And my wife said, oh, let's go take some pictures with some hockey players. I'm like, no, honey, you can't do that. <laughs> this is the all-star game, you know, and there's security. But, you know, this is not the NBA. This is not Major League Baseball. So she literally walks over to these players. She never met. She didn't know who they were. You know, she didn't know Iserman was I. And she's like, will you take pictures with my, my children and hockey players? Of course. Yep. So they're sitting there taking pictures with my wife. Not me and my kids. <laughs> and and if you watch the replay of that game, I think it it might have been Eisenman, Steve Eisenman. Steve Eisenman doesn't skate down the ice. He's taking pictures with my wife. <laughs> you know, so so that that experience again just gave me, you know, the love for the players, the people. And that translates virtually through, you know, you guys do this every day. You know, there of course there's a few divas, whatever, but right. hockey players, the, the hockey executives, the people are just salt of the earth and it just makes you love the sport more. So, so those two experiences for me, as well as the outdoor game, you know, which again, that one was probably second to Luke's thing. Um, were just really great. So John, um, before you got to know these players and, and I couldn't agree with you more, they as a group are amazing, but so, but growing up in Southern California, growing up in LA, there were a lot of options. Yeah. You know, Dodgers, Rams, Lakers, Clippers, whoever. Like, so why hockey for you? What What was it about it that you that created this this great love for this sport when you first watched sports? Well, it's you know, I wish I had a romantic story, but back in again in the eighties, uh, you remember the the forum? They had these things called Senate seats, mm -hmm. right? And my my parents were fortunate enough to buy these Senate seats because we were huge Laker fans. So we basically bought them for the Lakers, and we would go watch the Lakers. And, you know, back in the day, the Kings were very good. So we always had these hockey tickets sitting around. So I'm like, I'll go. And then so I started going to the games. And then in college, I'd bring all my buddies and just became, you know, a massive hockey fan. And, and you know, you remember, you know, talk, I, I know, Dennis, you guys are big sports fans. You got your Rams shirt on, sure. go Rams. But, um, you know, I don't think we realized back then that to watch – you know, Gretzky and Curry on a Monday sure. and then watch Magic and Kareem and Worthy on a Tuesday. And the Dodgers had Gibby hitting, you know, the home run of this franchise. You know, what a golden age of sports. But yeah, and, and uh, you know, over the years, I just kind of evolved my love for hockey with the five for fighting name. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I love I love all sports. But, you know, hockey has really become so close to my heart, not just because of the entertainment value, but as we mentioned, because of the, the people 
and no and the fact yep. that you know we won a ring or two. <laughs> <laughs> so John, you know, music and 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 sports intersect in so many different ways. Just because, I mean, for for starters, music is a big part of the game night presentation at sports, but also because they share a lot of the same buildings, and so there's crossover between the two. The, we try not to make this program about COVID, but it has impacted our lives and just the way that it's changed the world over the last couple of years. Uh, Dennis and I last year had, you know, the experience of sitting inside of uh, Staples Center with no fans there and, and trying to watch an empty arena game and how depressing that was and how different it was. I mean, we, we certainly were blessed to be able to have the access, but at the same time, it's not the same. And, and as a musician, you you've had to, deal with that as well in terms of getting out on the road and doing shows and just take us behind the curtain a little bit and talk about what it's like during these you know recent times trying to put on live shows what it means to you uh and how it's different than before no you're you're certainly right i was i was there for i wasn't there when it was empty but i was there you know at the end of last year when there was maybe a thousand people there and it was weird i think it's reevaluated our pers perspective i think as the the entertainers or the players, um, I think it's reevaluated our priorities. You know, just to be able to play is a blessing, right? You know, you don't realize how much you miss it till it's gone. And, you know, I, I, I love performing. I love songwriting. been doing it for a long time. But, you know, those two years to basically do Zoom concerts from my house and not see anybody, it really, it sucked. And, yeah. And when we went out, it's kind of similar to the players, you know, because of COVID and all the, the rules, a lot of our venues were probably half full or a third full, which in, in the past may have, you know, selfishly annoyed your ego. But for us, we're like, <laughs> oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm glad somebody came. And um, and just to be able to play with uh, with your teammates or your band, because they're really your family. So it's being with your family to be able to do what you do. Um, so I'm sure the players too, you know, to find you, you have to become more professional about you can't count on the audience or the fans to energize you. So it makes you frankly be more of a professional and find an eternal energy uh, for that one person that came because, you know, the sports players, you know, have given me a good lesson about entertaining. As I say, look, you may do this 10,000 times in your life, but every night there'll be one person there that's the only time they'll ever see you and they're coming to see you and you need to give them the same energy and respect as you, you, you would, um, any other gig. So I, I thought the I thought, you know, I thought the NHL handled it great. I thought the bubble year playoffs was great. Um, I think some of the COVID rules in Canada are a little nuts, but, mm -hmm. uh, this whole thing has been nuts. Um, but you know, <laughs> they're getting the games in, I, I, I figure probably a good move, you know, canceling the Olympics. But yeah, it's been terrible. We've all adjusted. You guys have adjusted. Um, teams have adjusted. But, you know, when we didn't have sports, that was traumatic for me. <laughs> it probably shouldn't have been. Amen. But when, remember those six months of nothing? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was playing. I think just to see a game, whether there is anybody there or not, was just for us sports fans, such a great relief. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. A, a really rudimentary question about your craft. Yeah. And I always ask, and it's a silly question, but when you write a song, is it the words first or the music first? You know, is it the goalie? Is it the defense? Or is it your, your, your scores? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think you can do it many different ways. Teams you win can. in many ways. Uh, I have no uh, kind of strict, you know, strict kind of 
strategy mm-hmm. uh, of songwriting. Typically, it'll start with music first. Okay. But many times you'll write a lyric. Um, you know, right. um, you'll like a straight lyric, and you'll put mm-hmm. music to it. Many times you'll have a concept. A hundred years. Uh, one of my songs right, was right. a concept about appreciating the moment. It's not always great, but recognizing the moment. So I always believe there's a great song in a room if I could just hear it. So much of my songs that come from listening to people. You guys may say something like, "Oh, you know, that's that's a song. That's a title. Sure. Um, that's a lyric." So, so you're going to write a song about us, you're saying. I'm very, into this. I, I heard happen. that loud and clear. It could be easily happen. Co- I love COVID, it. COVID twins. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think you always have to be on the lookout. And so much of it, as you know, is just grinding. You know, sure. I think Fight yeah. for Fighting is an apt name for my band because everybody mm-hmm. passed on me. Everybody, you know, right. to this day, I'm not a prodigy songwriter. I got to write 100 songs to get... 10 that you hear sure, sure. so it's really about you know the grind the work ethic and trying everything and maybe get a couple that you know that resonates in the culture to build on dennis's question there uh, bob forrest who's one of my favorite songwriters uh, once made the comment i remember him saying how weird it is to perform live because there's so much going on in his brain that when he's performing a song live he's that's like on one side of his brain and on the other side of the, his brain he's processing what's going on he's having conversations and he's like living two things at the same time i'm just curious when you're on stage is it is it the same way that you're you know you're thinking about where you're going for dinner yet at the same time on the other side of your brain you're you're giving it all to the performance that is very true. Some, it's usually more than two things. I mean, you're certainly thinking about the audience. You're trying to find someone to engage with, because especially if you've sung a song 5,000 times, you, you don't want it to just be kind of rote. But you're also thinking about where you wrote it. Um, um, things that have happened, you know, things that maybe somebody said to you about that song that night or the night before. Um, but also, you know, to be, you know, full disclosure, there are, I'm not saying this happened, but there may be some gigs when the Kings are actually playing playoff games during my show that I have my sound man set up a little box on the piano to put my phone in there. Not that I look at it, but I, I probably shouldn't do that, but it might have happened once or twice. Fair, fair. So, so John, back to uh, some hockey. Um, yeah. as, a, as a dyed-in-the-world, die-hard Kings fan, the one player of the opposition that you can't stand the most? Like, who's the one guy that, like, when it comes out, I think, oh, I just can't stand that guy. Is there one guy? Well, of course, back in the day, it was Esatik and Enright. You know, he was annoying. (laughs) But, you know, these days, um, even though he doesn't play the Kings much, you know, Brad Marchand is somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, that you you just despise, but you would take him on your team in two seconds. Um, Yeah. You know, I've always had had got respect for the you know kind of the the, the guys that get a little dirty and um, you know I used to just I did I, I love the player, um, but you know uh, back in the day when Corey Perry I was waiting when, for that name you know, yeah when I was Corey waiting Perry for that one. played yeah. the Kings and he'd bump into <laughs> Jonathan Quick every night and you just wanted somebody to go off on him. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you see what he's doing now. It's like a lot of those guys, for the most part, you know, there's a few nut jobs. Sean Avery who was on our team, you know, that, you know, that you probably are like, maybe not. But, but uh, yeah, you, 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 would take, you would take those guys 
uh, on your team in a second. You know, we got one. Lemieux's one of those, right? <laughs> you know, if I was an opposing player, I'm like, that guy, you know, no, that guy should not be in the NHL, you know, but he's on our team. So, yeah, go, you know, go Freddie Mirror. Well. You know, go bite people, bite people, whatever. <laughs> well, maybe please don't bite people, no. Yeah, maybe not bite people. <laughs> I mentioned COVID, age of COVID, no biting. Yes, uh, I mentioned at the top of the program that uh, we had some challenges, you know, scheduling different people at different times and just what it's like trying to get people onto these these Zoom calls to do our, our podcast. Uh, the, the bite thing actually caused a problem for us because we had Rob Blake scheduled to come on the program that week. <laughs> and then Blakey had to postpone because he needed to go be part of the NHL uh, player safety hearing. So it was, uh, yeah, we know we know all about that type of stuff. Um, you mentioned some of those players from the past. Uh Craig Muni instantly comes to mind. You talk about Esatikinen, but it seems like they were all in the Oilers too, right? Craig McTavish back in the day uh, was somebody that, that would certainly drive Kings fans crazy. Yeah, I remember I was at a game when, you know, when we talk about Dave Taylor, uh, you know, actually, I wouldn't call it had a fight, but he took a swing at Wayne, um, which was just so awesome. And they see all the Oilers just massively freak out and like, you know, you know, you know, they're the Oilers. I mean, you know, they were the, the great, they were showtime, you know, they were so annoying. And then they had these, these little, you know, weasels, you know, kind of bugging you. And, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, guys like Marshawn and, and Avery and, you know, I'm, you know, they make the game interesting, you know, Wilson, of course, you know, he's the, he's the devil of the NHL now, but the dude can play. The yeah. guy can play. And uh, you know, as long as nobody gets hurt, um, which sometimes they cross the line. Um, you know, Marty was, you know, he was nuts. He, he, you know, he had that, that wild gene and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks were not big fans of, of his on the other side too, but yeah, it just makes the sport so, so fun and interesting. Okay. Let's fast forward to January 22, 2022. Yeah. Your, your thoughts on this team. We're Kings fans. We're frustrated, right? But, you know, but, you know, if you would have told me, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year that we'll probably have the worst special teams or close to the worst special teams in the league, but we're bubble playoff team, I would take that in two yeah. seconds. I, uh, you know, you know, Dennis, I, I love, you know, seeing your, your tweets after the game about, you know, you know, short term, long term, yeah. middle term, right, right. you know, all those things. And so you 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 kind of keep me from overreacting to one game, but then you know you see the game the other night. You know when you outshoot a team three four to one and you lose, even though it's mm -hmm. one of the better teams. That's so L.A. Kings. <laughs> that's just so <laughs> Kings. You know, if, let's get outshot four to one and lose. You know, um, but you know it's been great to see Quickie. You know, kind of regain his form. You know, to see um, Drew regain his form and. You know, I understand we're in this kind of weird place where the old guys are aging out, the young guys sure. are coming up, and and you guys, you know, John, I follow your reports, you know, on the on the up and comers all the time. So Thank you know, you. you you keep me um, excited about the future, and I I watch the worlds, you know, I watch some of the juniors, I see the talent that's coming. Um, so, you know, patience is part of sports, um, but yeah, overall, you know, it's they play hard. They're meshing, yep. you know, you know, some of the trades I was kind of iffy on. And I think they're still kind of we'll see if Arvidsson and, and Deneau kind of pan out how we like to. But, yeah, they're a fun team to watch. They can win any game. 
as, as you guys have said, this road trip coming up will probably determine whether we make the playoffs. And then it'll be very interesting at the trade deadline because if, if we're not going to make the playoffs, you know, there there are some teams that I think, you know, will, will, would really love Quickie. And as Blasphemous is to say, you know, uh, you know, if the Oilers are, are desperate, you know, we may be saying goodbye to one of our other favorites. Um, but, uh, hey, I hope we make the playoffs. I think uh, we have a good chance to make the playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I'm interested in what you guys think. You know, if we're a playoff team, you know, the, the next three years, because, you know, it seems to me it's been a little longer than we expected to get here. Um, but can you give me your two kind of minute, you know, prognostications? Well, I would say that, the, first of all, the pandemic has had an impact on, on a lot of things. It's had an impact on player development. Yeah. You look at the number of games Great that point. players, younger yeah. players have played. I don't think there's ever been a time in history where the Kings prospect pool has played as few of games as they've played over the last two seasons, both because it's impacted at the college level or all three. It's impacted at the college level. It's impacted at the American League level, and it's also impacted at the at the junior hockey level. There's there's been a plus side to that. Certainly you look at a guy like Byfield and even some of those other players that were able to play in the American League last year. Arthur Kaliev played in the American League last year. So that's great for both of those two players because they would have been in the Ontario Hockey League last year. So it's had its pluses, but it's, it's certainly, I think, on balance, has had more minuses. And so I think that the length of time, um, I think a lot of people also look at the time being longer because the team hasn't been very good for so long. When, in fact, really, the, the rebuild, the recreate started in uh, December of 2018, that's when they decided to tear it down. So uh, it, it, it fell apart much quicker than I think most people expected it to. You know, that first year when Blake was the GM, they ended up making the playoffs and things looked like, you know, they were going in the right direction with Kopitar uh, being nominated for the Hart. And I think Dowdy was nominated for the Norris again, if I remember correctly. So there was a lot of positive momentum that fell flat in the playoffs to, you know, an expansion team in Vegas. But uh, the following year is really when they turned the page. So. To the larger point, I think that uh, I've said this many times, the future has never been brighter for the LA Kings. Uh, they, they, are, they are sitting on a treasure chest of riches right now. And uh, that, that, there's a lot of excitement there, not only at the forward position, but also defensively. Brock Faber is going to turn pro at the end of the season. You have Brant Clark, who will probably be in Los Angeles next year. So a lot of things coming defensively as well as at forward. And I think right down the road, it's also coming for Anaheim. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because anytime both teams are good at the same time, I think it's better not only for Southern California, but it's better for each franchise because they, they push each other to be better, I believe. So that's, that's my two cents, Dennis. Yeah, I think that to start the season, I didn't have them as a playoff team, but a much improved team, which I think that's come to fruition. Um, but you're this close now with half the season to go, like. So make the playoffs. Like if you have an opportunity, if you're still in that position in March, make that buy. But to me, making it or not wasn't the, the, the key of this. You had to turn the corner. Mm -hmm. Todd's system had to work. They had to grasp it. They had to be more competitive. They've done all those things to me. So if they're two points in or four points out, I'm sure people will be upset if they're four points out. But to me, they've turned the corner. And like John says now, how do the kids develop? What additions do you make with the established players using some assets you have? So I think to me, this was the critical season. I, I think that everybody has done the job. And so if you're a Kings fan, you should be satisfied with the performance. Yeah, I think you have to not necessarily look at whether they make the playoffs or not. I think the thing to look at at the end of the year is how much playing time did they give to the younger players and are yeah. they in a better position 
to make final determinations of what they have. Uh, Rob Blake was on the program just a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of his big, big talking points, is look, we wanna be buyers moving forward is what he said, but in order to be buyers, they need to understand what they have. What pieces do they still need to go out and get? And right now, I think there are a lot of questions uh, because there are too many things that they need to go out and get, and you need to be able to hone in on that. So getting Byfield games, getting Turcotte games, Getting more games out of uh, Mikey Anderson and Toby Bjornfoot and Sean Dursey and these guys, is it's a very important. So for me, the evaluation at the end of the year would be great to make the playoffs. I think they will make the playoffs. Uh, but the bigger evaluation is how many games did Turcotte get? How many games did Fagamo get? How many games did Byfield get? And were they able to play enough meaningful minutes to be able to uh, form a fully crafted evaluation on where they are. Uh, to me, that's the that's going to be the biggest takeaway from the season. It was supposed to be the biggest takeaway from last season. It just didn't play out that way. Well, yeah, I think that's very wise. I mean, I have to say, for the for the first time, I was very excited about Byfield after watching the game the other night. You know, some of his speed to get to get in behind the yeah. defense twice. I hadn't seen that from him before. I know you guys watch him all the time down at the rain, but you know, someone who just catches the games. You just kind of know when a guy belongs in the league, right? So you can see him. You know, Turcotte, some of the other guys, uh, we'll, we'll see. But, no, I think you're right. You know, you go, you know, you look at the guys like Velarde and stuff like that. You know, what is that player? Is it an asset? Is it a player? And they have, have so many of those. But, you know, it's, you know, when, you, we, when we went through that stretch and you're beating teams like Pittsburgh and Nashville and you're like, oh, you know, you know. It's it's interesting, but but no, I'm with you. I'd love to make the playoffs. I don't expect to have a long run. Um, it'd just be nice to see you know, Kopi and Quickie and Drew and Brownie in another playoff series. You know, just just for for kind of nostalgia's sake. But no, I'm, I'm excited. I'm with you. You guys keep me on track. Keep me on track. When I go off the rails, we will. pull me back. Yeah, pull no, we'll me bring back. you back in. We'll pull you back in. No problem. John, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We look forward to it. So you're going to write a song about us. Uh, when you're back performing again in Los Angeles, we're definitely going to come out and check out a show. Oh, yeah. uh, we'd love to be part of it and, and see what's going on. And if you feel the need to have us up on stage to welcome you, you know, like we can stand there in front of the microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, we're proud to give you five for fighting. We can do that. We're, we're available. You are booked. You are All right. booked. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll do it. And, yeah, thanks for everything. And, uh Keep up the good work, guys. It's just so great listening to you every day. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, we're gonna John. play. We're gonna play into the intermission with Superman, the song you referenced earlier, which of course is near and dear to the hearts of uh, Luke Robitaille, as well as many other hockey fans out there. Thanks again, John. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Go Kings, go! I can't stand to fly. I'm not that night. I'm just out to find. The better part of me I'm more than a bird I'm more than a plane I'm more than some pretty face Beside a train And it's not easy To be me I wish that I could cry Fall upon my About a home I'll never see It may sound absurd But don't be naive Even heroes have The right to bleed I may be disturbed But won't you concede 
welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. All right, third period. Five for fighting, Dennis. What do you think there? Uh, it's a pretty fun interview. John was able to get us back on track talking L.A. Kings after uh, all of our first period topics. What do you think about John? Are you going to get on the stage with a cowbell at his next show in L.A.? Is, is that the whole point look, of all I, that? Look, I, I don't I – don't, I mean, if he wants me to play a cowbell, I'll play the cowbell. But, I, I look, uh, a ghost well, – You want to be the hype guy. You're the hype man. You, well, you want to intro him. Yeah. yeah, a ghost inside, uh, which is a completely different genre of music. But uh, I, they're big Kings fans. And I was, at one point was talking to them, and I was going to introduce them on stage. I think it was at Warp Tour or something. And it all just – all of the our schedules or whatever didn't work out, right. and I didn't end up doing it. And – I don't know. That was just in the back of my mind. And as I was talking to John there, I was like, hey, wait a minute. We'll come on stage and we'll just we'll introduce you. Yeah, we'll be the hype man, right? I'll, you can be Flavor Flav. You can wear a big clock around your neck. Yeah, of course. If I need a cowbell, I'll do it. But I, yeah, we'll do it. We'll be like, please welcome to the stage. Grammy nominated, yeah. right? Yeah. Diehard yes. LA Kings fan. Uh, we'll, we'll do it. Whatever he wants. Yeah, we'll he was it. fantastic. He was great. A, a true dyed-in-the-wool Kings fan from way back in the day and a guy who suffered through all those years and then just, like you said, cried like a baby when they won their first cup. So it was a great 30 minutes with John. I, I, I still laugh at the story that Luke didn't know about the five for fighting um, <laughs> because, I mean, how do you not know? Five for fighting. It's a hockey term. Right. Like, there's no, other, there's no other aspect of life where that phrase comes into play. Like, nobody working at McDonald's is like, oh, you know, fries and five for fighting. Like, it, it, it's, it's only See, important in the world of hockey. And, and I didn't know, A, that event happened, and B, I didn't know you were there. So that, yes. was, that was a kind of a, a, a good uh, disclosure. It's a good thing to learn, from, even from me. Ah, I, I would have uh, thought that I would have told you. I, you know, Dennis, sometimes, and, and I don't mean this as a humble brag, but sometimes I've just been so many places and done so many things. That's a humble brag, John. I know that okay. sounds very, very terrible to say. It is. It but is. sometimes I Yeah, I never just, knew that. You went to that event. I, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Um, yes, that's the night that, <laughs> that's the night that Lappy, um, I, I thought I was going to have to go to the doctor because he kept hitting me in the arm. <laughs> And the dude is so ridiculously strong. Strong, oh yeah. yeah. So I'm standing there talking to Luke and Stacia, and he like has one arm around my neck, and he's like, as he's telling this funny story, he's punching me in the arm, <laughs> you know. And and the more we're all laughing, the harder he's hitting me. Right, of course. And, you know, I like I'm black and blue in my arm almost. It's like crazy from from that. But uh, that's great. It was off of that that then Lappy invited me to go to Colorado, and so then sure. uh, you know we had a great time, and he he hooked me up and for a King's Avalanche game out there. And uh, we had a fun time with Lappy and he, he's always been just tremendous to me. And I, I, I thank yeah. him so much for one of the best for that relationship, Dennis. We talked about that in there the first go. period, you know, <laughs> you have relationships with, uh, with players uh, that extend beyond just what yeah. happens, you know, on, on the rink. And uh, Lappy's just a tremendous person. You know, this is Kings of the podcast, but way back when, when Mayor's Manor had a podcast long before mm -hmm. Kings of the podcast, my very first guest ever was Lappy, um, and we told we told part of that story on that podcast. So yep. that's probably why I thought I might have told you. But anyway, um, sure. now that I think about it, that really did sound horrible, Dennis. That I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things. But mm, um, okay, you live. A, you got to live your life. Well, you know, I'm proud of it. I mean, Shawshank you know, Redemption: Get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> love that. Love that line. Man, I am ready to get busy living, Dennis. Enough let's of go. the uh, enough yes. of the quarantining over the last couple exactly. of years. Uh, let's get out. Let's do some punk rock bowling. Let's go to some concerts. Amen. Let's, uh, let's go to some football games. Let's but go. Let's to some... not go to Ontario, John. 
Let's go to Ontario, Dennis. Let's get out to the rain game. And uh, Dennis, tonight in Anaheim, let's get out to UFC. I, look, hey, oh, I was yeah. talking to our buddy Arash last night. Let me tell you. Yes. I, I, I like fanboyed out last uh, yesterday. So at the weigh-ins, I go to the weigh-ins and Mm. Arash and I always run into each other at UFC. Uh, it's just kind of our thing. I ran into him at the Rams game. So he's, he told, he's he told everywhere. Me, right? yeah, yeah. He told me that. So I, I, I go to sit down in the, the, the media bullpen, as they call it, and uh, yeah. I, I just I look up and I see Arash, and like he lights up, and I get a big smile, and yeah. he gets a big smile. And, like I gave him a big hug. I'm like, bro, like, how have you been, dude? I haven't seen you in like a year. And it's yeah. funny, Dennis, because that's how it is nowadays. Right. And and John was talking about this uh, during during the interview with him was just saying how it changes your perspective on things. You know, like in the old days, like, oh, hey, you know, what's up, Arash? You know, a little yeah, fist yeah, bump no, so. and, you know, hey, good to see you again. How you been? You know, uh, but instead it's like, dude, I miss I you. I love you. I how are you? You know, so we had a you great and I time. probably had the same reaction. I gave him a big friggin <laughs> hug when I saw him. I'm like, ah! like it's yeah. like long lost brother or something yeah. like that. But, yeah, it's that's what this this last two years have done to us. I feel like I've been talking to the same 10 people for the last two years. Now, so, I, mean, I mean, I love you, but it's good to expand the circle to an 11 Amen, person, John. 12 person I get it. every once in a while. So I get it. it was good to see Arash. Uh, good to hear that the life is going well for him. Uh, him and his girlfriend are getting ready to go to New York. He was talking about, actually, he's going to be in New York. And uh, he was talking about going to the Kings game at Madison Square Garden. So I was oh, I was uh, talking to him about, you know, my love for the garden and how much I enjoy going there. And we, yeah. and we talked, of course, baseball and uh, it was just a fantastic conversation, and then we were we were both uh, we were both sharing our thoughts on tonight's UFC event in Anaheim, and how good it is to how exciting it is, I should say, to get, be able to get back into a live combat sport. The UFC yep. never shut down, Dennis, during the pandemic. I they know. kept running live events, uh, but uh, you know now here back in our own backyard here in Southern California. Did you know, Dennis, there have been more UFC events in Anaheim than there have been in Los Angeles? That to me oh yeah, weird. yeah, without question, yeah, because they that was their that was their home base in Southern California. Well, a, they've had some of the biggest fights in UFC history yep. have taken place actually in Anaheim, in Anaheim and people forget yep. this. So the first legalized UFC event, uh, because MMA for whatever reason was illegal in California right. for a long time, when it was finally legalized, the first UFC event in California took place at the Honda Center. Um, Ronda Rousey, the first female fight ever in the UFC which is crazy to even say, uh, looking back on it, right. that took place at the Honda Center. Fantastic event. When they went on Fox, which was a big deal, Dennis, they signed a network that, right. TV deal. They were off of Spike TV and onto Fox. The very first Fox show, headlined by a heavyweight title fight, took place at the Honda Center. Uh, Brock Lesnar fought Cain Velasquez at the Honda Center. Mm -hmm. uh, Tito Ortiz headlined a big event there. Uh, at you know He's from Huntington Beach and, and uh, right. was one of the biggest names of the early days of the UFC. He headlined it. So, so just big events that took mm -hmm. place at the Honda yep. Center. And tonight, a double title fight that's taking place as well, Dennis. You're getting the heavyweight championship of the world in a true coin flip, a pick'em fight that you probably couldn't have scripted any better uh, is taking place. And then a trilogy fight for the uh, flyweight title as the co-main event. So mm -hmm. a fantastic event, Dennis. But uh, let's talk LA Kings. You got me excited just talking about the, the UFC there, Dennis. I want to do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> sure thing. Um, <laughs> look, social commentary. I don't want to make this entire program about social commentary. Um, I do want to get to the LA Kings. We have a lot to talk about. The offense, the road trip, uh, Quentin Byfield, the schedule, etc. But I do just quickly want to pause for a moment, Dennis, and talk about to. what took place yeah. this week. I think we have to. Uh, the Boko Imama incident and the prospect or the player on the San Jose Barracuda that was suspended for 30 games by the American League. And this is my question to you, Dennis. Um, 
hockey players in general are known for being great guys. And even on Jurassic talked about it in the last segment, right? They're just, that's what they're known for. They're, they're not right. NBA players. They, they, they're not NFL players. They're not major league baseball players. They're not as arrogant. Mm-hmm. They're not as flashy. They, they don't get in trouble with the law the same way that so many of these other leagues do their players. They're just good guys. They're just farm boys yeah. from Canada and these clean cut, you know, GQ cover European guys, <laughs> you know, right? They're just good down to earth dudes. Why is it, though, that this one topic continues to come up so much, and that's know. racial topic, uh, in, in hockey? Why, why, why can't hockey, who takes the higher ground on everything, why can't they just do it on this one topic, too? Dennis, this is 2022. Yeah, Give know. me a break. This topic was dead 20 years ago. Why and how is it still happening? It baffles my mind. I, I don't have an answer for you, John, other than there's just – some people are idiots and lose their mind and there's no place for it. And it, it's it's sad. It's sad that we even have to address it or what happens. And why is Boko, who's a great guy, have to be subject to that? I don't – it defies all logic, Don. It's just – it's sad when it occurs. And it, it should – like when it's happened in the past, it should be a lesson to, to everyone else that this is not acceptable. It's just wrong on, so, on every level. And yet it still, it still happens. I don't – I struggle with this stuff. And I don't know why, and it's sad, and you should just be better and know better. And hopefully hopefully, this is the last time Boko or any player of color have to go through this stuff with respect to hockey because it's, it's a, it's, it, it has no place in society, much less this game. It, it doesn't. Dennis, it's so embarrassing. Like, it's, it's so beyond embarrassing because it, this is 2022. Like, th- yeah. this is just like, really? Really? You you don't know better like be better as a human being forget about being a hockey yeah, player forget it yeah as a human being be better just please be better i i don't even know what else to say it, it's it's there so maddening and so embarrassing and, and when when the tweet came across or the email that said you know ahl suspends this player for 30 games i go well 30 games oh my you know i'm thinking what did this guy do must have been a hell of a fight mm-hmm. like i just you know, yeah, oh, was it right. PEDs? You didn't like, go to that, right? You didn't go the to that. Thought never crossed my mind, Dennis. No. Never crossed my mind. And then I read, I go, "What the hell? What? Yeah. Like, is, is is this a flashback article from, you know, thirty years ago? Like, what are yeah. you talking about? What is okay. going on, Dennis? It's just, it pisses me off, DB. Yeah, no, it, it and it should. It should anger everyone that that people think can, they can walk around and act in that manner. It just, it's not acceptable for. For society, and hopefully this is the last time we'll have to discuss it. But uh, sadly, I don't think that it will be. Well, I, I, I said this back when Wayne Simmons was here, Dennis, and I guess we're going to have to keep saying it. Wayne Simmons, to me, he's a hockey player. That's, that's it. it. He's that's it. He's not a black hockey player. Like he, for, I understand why to Wayne Simmons it's important to represent yes, being a black hockey player, and I get yes. that, and I respect that, and I and I try to understand it. I shouldn't even say I do understand it because you know, as a white male, I don't understand it. I want to understand it, mm-hmm. but to me, Wayne Simmons is just a hockey player. Quinton Byfield is just Amen. a hockey player. Akil Thomas is just a hockey player. You know, right. I, I don't have any additional commentary about Akil Thomas being a black hockey player than I do any other prospect being a Canadian hockey player, a Sweden hockey player. It just sure. He's a hockey player. He's just a dude. I just talk to him. He's just a guy. Right. I don't, I yeah. don't know, Dennis. I just, this whole thing works yeah. me up so much. It's like, it just really, I know. really. It sh- and it should, off. John, it should, it should work you up. You should be angry over this because it's, it's something that is still pervasive that shouldn't be in our society.
And I feel horrible for Boko. I feel horrible for, for oh. Wayne Simmons. I feel horrible for QB. I feel horrible for Akil. Like, that's what you're dealing with? Like, that's, man, just, uh, it's it's horrible, DB. Um, sure. I've said my piece. Let's move on. It yep. just, Let's move I'm, on. I'm pissed off about it. So, uh, the Kings offense. Dennis, you and I both, uh, we retweeted the same tweet this morning uh, from <laughs> Jay Fresh. Uh, just look, I mean, you know, you don't have to know analytics. You don't have to love analytics uh, very much, uh, you know, to understand what that tweet was about, which is that, uh, Dennis, the Kings don't really generate a lot of offense. Yeah, oh, they don't finish, John. That That's the issue, is that, is that the puck doesn't go in the back of the net. The system works. You look at these games, John, and, and this last group of games, they've been a dominant puck possession team. They've had possession some games 75% of the time, and they can't put it in the back of the net. So one of two things. Maybe you need different players shooting, or the odds are, given the randomness of hockey, if you believe in the, the, that type of statistic, that it'll turn around in the second half. But they are like the, the goals – the, lead, the the worst expected goals in the league right now, which means they should be scoring, but they're not. So you could tell why. And but to the to, to the five people on Twitter who think <laughs> I, I don't criticize the coach and so, like it's not coaching. Like if the system didn't work, they wouldn't get opportunities. They're getting opportunities. The system works. They're out playing really good teams and long stretches. That all stuff works. So you're telling me the puck in the back of the net is coaching? I'm sorry, it's not. It's just the randomness of this game and they're going through a bad streak or maybe you just need better players. I'm not really sure. Well, I, or a combination of a lot of those different things, Dennis, because yes, I think they correct. do need better players because as upsetting and as concerning as it was with Adrian Kempe being out of the lineup and being in protocol, this Kings team can't be dependent upon one player, Dennis. Sure, one player being taken out of the lineup cannot crash the whole deck of cards. So. No. Uh, no. that, that is well. It, it, I will say this, John. It, it affects the power play because he's the zone yes, entry guy, right? Yes. So that that one, I get that part. So the fact that they weren't functioning well without a zone entry guy like him, then he that's his bet. Well, arguably his best trait. I get that part. Like so that, and so when people say, "Oh, well, you know, uh, it's a, it's not like you're missing your best power play a zone entry guy." So that's part of it, but it's not the entire story. I agree. They're still getting opportunities. It's just the same flow that they've had on that power play isn't there without Kempe. Did the Colorado game to you feel a little bit like, – let me just take a quick step back. The Tampa right. Bay game to me just felt like Victor Hedman uh, oh. trying to put on a statement that night, right? Victor Hedman made sure that everybody yep. knew how damn good he is, and he really right. was that night. But the Colorado game to me had a very similar feel um, to the to the Nashville game from a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. That yes. Nashville game where, like, the Kings should have won that game, right? Agreed. And you had to feel good about the performance of the team that night, even if you didn't like the result. The Colorado game, in many ways, to me, it felt very similar. It wasn't exactly the same, but it had that sort of similar feeling to me where, like, the Kings were controlling long stretches of play and I don't want to say dominating, but they were in control and yet they just yeah. weren't getting the results that they wanted. And that's where you go, man, I just really wish that Kempe would have been in the lineup that night, you know, or Martin Furk would have been around to maybe score a power play goal no, for you. No, 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 please stop. Stop. DB, you need help on need... the power play. How do you not call up Martin Furk? Come on. Easy. Because that's six minutes a game and I'm concerned about the other 54 <laughs> minutes a game. That's why, that's why he's not playing. But um, yes, I agree with you with the spectacle. Here's the problem. You make one bad play against Colorado, yeah. <laughs> like Lemieux did off the boards with a yeah. blind pass, and it's in the back of the net. Not that he passed it to McKinnon; it was a, it was a, it was a death play. It was a thing kid who scored his first goal of the season, but but you can't make those mistakes against that team. Yeah. Right? And the goalie, and left for nothing, Kemper played pretty good, yeah. right? And like for instance, you mentioned Byfield. That move he did in the second period, coming off his off wing and went to the net, and I thought he was going to get his first. 
Like that's the guy. And then when you talk to Todd afterwards, what did he say? The the power in his legs are here that weren't here last year. That was a power move to the net. And he thought he was good. I asked him, I said, do you think you're going to get that one? He goes, yeah, the goalie made a good play. But but to me, that that's, I, I agree with you. This team, its system works. They're a much more aggressive team. They're not playing, and we talked about this, Chuck. They're not laying back in that 1-3-1. Like, they're aggressive. Um, they're controlling the puck. They're just not finishing. It's as simple as that. And, and you're right. It's a myriad of things. But I think when you look at it, I think that they're playing the right way. They're playing ways to win games. They can't find ways to win them. That's the difference. They're playing winning type of hockey. They just can't make those plays right now to win. And not for nothing. You look at the last three games. Colorado and Tampa, hmm, decent teams. And, John, they never win in San Jose. So, And I know the guy went nuts and had five goals. But you look at the body of work for these three games, I'm not overly upset. The fans should not be overly upset about it because the effort was there. It's just that two teams are powerhouse teams and you can't make mistakes against them. I think uh, the way that the week set itself up, Dennis, the game that I would have liked to have seen them win was the game against Tampa, and here's why. In San Jose, they've had their struggles, like you said. San Jose also came on the second day of back-to-back with travel as well. Right. So yes. you have you have kind of some built-in excuses, if you will. Sure, you sure. Come home. You needed to have a chip on your shoulder in that Tampa Bay game mm-hmm. because you were yeah. you were dummied in the game in San Jose, right? And yep. so yep. you should have had a chip on your shoulder coming into the next game. It's at home, and Dennis. Mm-hmm. They should have won the game in Tampa Bay that they ended up losing last month in overtime. So you have the revenge factor against Tampa. You have the chip on your shoulder from the game uh, two days before, and you're at home, and you know it's important to get a win because you also are going to have to face Colorado on Thursday. They needed to win that game. They need, And if they would have won that game, I would be more willing to accept the Monday defeat. I would be more Mm -hmm. willing to accept Mm -hmm. the Thursday defeat, even though his, you know, in a perfect yep. world, you win the last game you. of your homestand heading out on the road because you theoretically have some momentum. But I would have felt better if they would have, mm-hmm. and I would have been more impressed if they won the game against Tampa. And not only that, John, they had lost nine straight to Tampa. So you're not putting that on the board when you're going out to the ice. Like, all right, enough already. They're a good team, but they're not really that good. So to, I agree with you totally, John. Absolutely. You feel a lot better about this road trip if you're not going out with an L3 behind your, the standings. And that's that's the challenge for this team right now. All right, so uh, look, the hope would be if you're Todd McClellan that you're going to get Adrian Kempe back. The five days of of quarantine would allow him to play in the first game in New Jersey. Everyone's kind of being yeah. tight-lipped about it. And the Kings this season have not normally had a guy come back immediately after five days. It's more or less been Todd's protocol, uh, method of operations, mm-hmm. probably a better expression, to uh, give a guy a couple practices to work himself back sure. up conditioning-wise yeah, yeah. or whatever. So I'm today I'm not expecting Kempe to play. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm also not expecting mm-hmm. Kempe to play in the first game, but I am expect him, expecting him to come back on the road trip. Um, they took a couple of extra bodies with them. I reported that right. yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin Byfield is... Uh, you know, he's up with the Kings now. He's going to get his opportunities. He looked good, like you said. Um, you talked about coaching, though. When the Kings were winning, all of the people on Twitter that were leading the parade for fire Todd McClellan, they all disappeared. And then immediately this week during the L3, <laughs> they all came back. I want to turn the conversation to a different place, though. I'm wondering, Dennis, if it's time to bring in some different assistant coaches 
And here's why. The thought really mm -hmm. came into my mind last night as I'm sitting there in the Ponda and I'm watching what's going on and I'm remembering sure. about the changes in the Anaheim Ducks this year and how, because, you know, I, I think I've been pretty open uh, with my thoughts oh, on yeah. Dallas Eakins. <laughs> yep, <laughs> as I had, long, bef <laughs> long before Mike Stuthers arrived in town, I was very clear right, about my right. feelings about Dallas Eakins as a head coach, and I still am, uh, but that's not my point. My point was that they, they, the Ducks went out, they changed their assistant coaches, um, mm -hmm. And I remember talking to Eakins over the summer and him saying, look, I'm not going to poison the well. I'm not going to talk to my assistants about what I thought worked and didn't work. I'm going to give them the opportunity to come in, recreate the penalty kill and recreate the power play and, and allow them to do it from a fresh perspective. The LA Kings have not been good on special teams. And I know mm -hmm. historically that's been one of Todd's strong points, but they have not, and they are not good on special teams with or without Kempe. I'm wondering if that might be a direction to go what do you think about that as maybe an opportunity in the offseason to bring in some different yeah. voices in the room? Okay, so you, the best part of that is what you just said, in the offseason. You're, you're not firing Marco Sturm now oh. halfway through its season. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well, the people want him that, like, oh, the media needs to start talking about Sturm. I'm like, uh, uh, let me see what happens at the end of the year. They play half the year, and it's still like this. Then, yeah, then you then you make those changes. So I would be all – if it if it's going to suffer like that. But, uh, John, I looked at some of these numbers – like their goaltending hasn't been good on, on the penalty kill. Like they, they've given up 30 power play goals, only 13 high danger goals. So they're not making saves either. So that they need to be better. But yeah, John, if, if they at this level continue this, the, the back end, the back 41 games, all for it. You want to make the team better. John, you want to make the team better. Like, so yeah. And part of making the team better if they don't function on special teams is to swap out the coaches. I get it. Like, I totally, I wouldn't be against it. But the team lobbying for any change now, you're crazy. You're nuts. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It, it yes. just doesn't work like that. But I, I agree. I, I think that every organization looks at that in the offseason. And let's say, let's say they miss by four points and their power play is 20th and their penalty kill is 27th. Yeah, you can change some players. But maybe your approach is wrong. So um, I, I totally agree with you at that. You have to you have to look at it if it's going to be persistent in the second half of the season. Yeah, I would say, uh, look, I would I would be willing to bet money that Todd McClellan is back next year as the head coach of the LA Kings, regardless yeah. of what happens over the back nine here in uh, this season. Todd McClellan is going to be back. So if if that's a given that that's happening, then the question mm -hmm. becomes, how do you improve the club beyond? this season what can you do in the off season and you can certainly make trades and you can certainly open up spots for uh for kids to play and you can do those sorts of things but does there need to be something else that's done additionally um yeah. from a development coach standpoint i think one of the things we don't talk enough about uh development of players excuse me is the loss of michael connell i think that was huge to the king's development mm -hmm. um it, it's it's something that should be talked about more it's something that people should be concerned about these, the Kings have the best prospect pool in you know the National Hockey League, or at least the top three, depending who you talk to. And the development of those players coming into the system, not only this year, but next year, and then even in future years. You talk about guys like Brock Faber turning pro and coming in, and sure. Brant Clark coming in. Development is a big part. Development, to me, is probably more part. important, more important than Todd McClellan. Because Todd McClellan can only have so much of an impact on an Adrian Kempe and on a Dowdy, right, as a head coach. Because those they're, they're veteran players, and they're going to do what they want to do, right? And they know what to do, and they should know what to do at this point. But the development, mm -hmm. making younger players into yep. men, that's important right now, Dennis. And so I, I would 
again, encourage you to come out to Ontario. That's my little plug. Um, sure. And watch what's going on. DB, let's talk Good about try. the schedule. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> let's let's talk about the schedule. Bring it back to the National Hockey League. Uh, we talked sure. on the last program about points percentage. And uh, fans, I highly mm-hmm. encourage you to stop looking at the number of points in the standings <laughs> because the points yes. are irrelevant right now, Dennis. I don't care what team has 45 points and what team has 49 points nope. and what team is two points out of a playoff spot. That's all nonsense and gibberish right now. Uh, you need to look at points percentage. It's a column. It's just to the right mm-hmm. of that. And the reason for that, Dennis, as you know, is because the games in hand, which normally, are, you know, there's like one or two yeah, differences. one or two. Right? It's some crazy, crazy cuckoo times that we live in right now. And you look at the number of games in hand. And I think Calgary still has 70 home games to play uh, yes, in the second half of Correct. the season. So you need, to look at, you need to look at that column. And so the way to normalize things is looking at points percentage. So as we record this program on January 22nd, you have the, in the, in the Pacific Division, you have Vegas atop the division with a 610 points percentage. Calgary is right behind them at 600. But yet, if you sorted this a different way, it would look like Calgary is in fifth place, Dennis, when really right, they're not right. because they're not. of those 70 home games that they still have to play in the second <laughs> half of the season. So Calgary theoretically is in second place right now. The LA Kings are in third place in the Pacific Division, which means they're in the playoffs. It has nothing to do with the wild card. They're in the third right. spot in the Pacific Division of 549 points percentage. And uh, the Ducks are right behind them, which, again, if you look at it points-wise, the Ducks would be ahead of them with 47 points, when, in fact, the Kings, they have two games in hand on the Ducks, and their points percentage is better at 549 to 547. On the heels of both SoCal teams would be the uh, the fish from Northern California, the Sharks. Uh, we got to go back and talk to Colin Hanks and find out what he calls the Sharks. Um, he, I think he calls the Ducks the Guppies or something. I don't know what he does. I'm not I'm not a fish and animal person, but whatever. The San Jose Sharks are at 537. And then Edmonton is down there at 528. We've already talked about them. How their coaching staff is still in play, I have no idea, Dennis. Uh, you and I both thought that that loss to the Florida Panthers yeah. was going to be the, the undoing of the Oilers, and it's not. But the point is this, Dennis. The schedule is going to have a lot to do with this oh, in the second half, lot. right? Like, yeah. I know that you think the same. Oh, yeah, because I think this is the one year you don't have games in hand. You want to have played the games already because on the back end, like the compacted schedule, and you're going to have teams playing like probably maybe three games, in, three games in a row or five out of seven or four out of six. That's going to be tough. So, yeah, Calgary's got six games in hands on play, but it's how you play those six games in hand, John. Like right now, the least impacted team with respect to the schedule changes, Kings. They've had three games added, and that's it, and it's not an overtaxing thing. So there may be a competitive advantage if they're playing some of these games against more so the Canadian teams. But, John, there's three Canadian teams in their division. So Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. Like you're going to maybe may catching them in those games on a you know the, the third – straight or a fourth night in six so to me the schedule um, is certainly not a friend right now because 11 of 12 are on the road but when you look at the back end when these teams have to make up games at their competition in the division that's going to be a lot of heavy lifting for those teams I think another thing uh, a great point Dennis and I think another aspect to look at here um, would be the trade deadline so the trade yep. deadline this year is pushed out so far. It's it's in late mm-hmm. March, right, is the trade yep. deadline. And so when they added these games into the period where there was the break, um, the season is going to roughly end at basically where they expected the season to end. They, yes. jammed all, they jammed a lot of these extra games into that what was formerly the Olympic break. So now you get the trade deadline so much later. And here's where I'm going, Dennis. I think that's going to help a team like the Anaheim Ducks. And here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, let's just say they're tied. They're neck and neck with the Kings, right? right. Uh, the Ducks 
have three potential big players, big components of yep. that team that are going to be unrestricted free agents. One walk away. Yep. Yeah. So, so what are you going to do? And I think their hands are somewhat tied too. They're in a, in an interim general manager situation. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do. I'm not making any commentary about Jeff Solomon. I'm talking about what is ownership going to do is ownership going to let him steer the ship, trade away those players and get future assets to help out whoever the next general manager is. And it could be Solomon. It could be somebody else. We don't know. All right. Or is he not going to allow him to make those trades and therefore they're going to, they're going to hold on to those players. I think that they're going to make the trades only because if I was an owner, I wouldn't want to have three walkaway assets, right? So maybe you mm-hmm. sign one of them. I don't know. Do you sign Manson? Do you sign Lindholm? Who's the guy right. that's going to sign? If I'm Lindholm, I'm not signing right now because it's a buyer's market right now. When you For look sure. at how defensemen are getting paid, I'm, I'm not about to give a hometown discount to the Anaheim Ducks. Now, I might look at the prospect pool. I might look at the improvement in the team this year mm-hmm. and go, yep. yeah. This, this is a team on the rise. I'd like to stick around for the next five years. But I might also really like to look at another team who's willing to offer me $8 million in, you know, right. uh, excuse me, eight eight uh, eight years with, you know, millions of more dollars, Dennis. This, this is a buyer's market if you're a defenseman. Yeah, and not only that, John, given what's going on in the world right now, do, do players really want to go play in Canada? You really want that? Like, I'm not really sure. It's it's probably the wrong time to be uh, to have free agent needs if you're a Canadian team. So, But I, I agree with you. I think that you guys like Lindholm, if you wanted me, you would have extended me last summer. And you didn't. So now, I, like, what's gonna? Hurt, how's it gonna hurt Hampus Limo not to sign? Like, it can't help. It can't hurt him. It's only gonna help the, the market, and he can create a market. And I agree with you. That type of player, he's gonna get multiple offers with, without question. The question is of trading him. Like, what do you tell your fan? Like, what does Dean? What did, what did Dean tell us back in the day? You want to sign from your team at the trade deadline that they want help, and if they're gonna be right here in this position right now. Like, what, what signs to your fan base? You're going to trade away an integral part of your team at the deadline because he's walking away. You know, sometimes you just buy your own free agents. You try your best. You try to make the postseason. And then you take your chances with them coming back in the offseason. Well, I, I, I want to – I don't think there's a, there's an exact or an easy answer, but I would argue both sides of the point here, Dennis. I think yeah. that you might – if you're able to sign one of those players and then you have to trade the other two, I think that's what you say sure. to the organization is you go, hey, look, I mean, you're to your fan base even. You go, hey, we don't want to be the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Columbus Blue Jackets rolled the dice to make the playoffs and yeah. they set the franchise back two or three years by doing that, by not recovering the assets that they would have been able to get. And we don't right. want to do that. We think that sure. we're a team on the rise, but it's not for us as Anaheim. It's not all about this year. It's about next year. Mm-hmm. And it's about the next Great three point. years. And 100%. so we signed the player that was willing to sign that we felt that we could get under contract and was willing to commit to us. And the others weren't willing to commit. So here's what we did. We had to trade them and get the assets. Right. And right. we are going to add to this team. And the money that we would have signed Lindholm for, let's say they signed Manson as an example, the money we would have spent to sign Lindholm, um, mm-hmm. We're going to use it to upgrade this club over the summer, but we feel really good about the kids. We feel really good about what we have mm-hmm. right now. Let's ride this season out. Let's continue to develop. And hey, maybe they also pick up a rental, right? A cheap, a cheap rental right. um, that, that won't cost and, you a lot. Right. And to your point, we're not signing this player. We're going to use the money to sign a Philip Forsberg. There you go. Perfect example, right? That there would there would be well, you your. You can't argument. say that because of tampering, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that, that's <laughs> not until not until free agent. But that that would be. That that's the replacement player. Like it depends who you replace these players with. So yeah, I I, I totally get that, John. And again, it's it's a function of where they would be. But I agree, it, it, it's it's optics, John. It's like, are you looking at like this playoff run right now? And this team isn't going to go deep. You know, right. maybe they went around depending who they they right. play, but they're not going deep. So like big picture, look what we got for this player. We got a first round pick and two asset and, and another asset or two assets or whatever. And we kept the player that we think will align with 
what we need to do in the next two, three years. So yeah, great point by you. Exactly. I mean, that, that to me is, it just creates a fascinating conversation though, because I think if that trade deadline was where it normally is, Dennis, I think yes. that would play into the King's favor because a team like Anaheim might fall out of the race quicker Right. Mm -hmm. And that might play mm -hmm. into L.A.'s favor. But by the trade deadline yeah. being so late, you're five the, weeks away from the end of the season. The Ducks might be staying in it longer. Yeah. Totally. Build more momentum and then potentially convince those players to stay and be yep. part of it and might convince them to sign earlier than right than they would have. Or totally. Compared, totally. Compared to the past. I just think it, right it, it, it's going to change potentially potentially change the dynamics mm -hmm. um, of how teams look at it. Exactly. Yep. And if you're L.A., you have to be looking at Anaheim, you know, back to Lombardi, to. back to Lombardi. I remember asking him if he, as a baseball guy who loved to talk about the Yankees, I remember asking him, does he look at the Yankees and the Red Sox and watch the way that they get into an arms race? And does he think, does he start to think that way um, about, uh, about the Kings and the Ducks, right? Because they were mm -hmm. both kind of, yeah. they were good at the same time or they were going to be. And he said, no, hockey's not that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, we can't just go out and, you know, signing one center, like signing a starting pitcher. It's not the same thing. And he, mm -hmm. he kind of tried to say that, no, he didn't see it that way. Um, but I think right now you have to, because I think when you're looking at the division, the Kings are in a battle with the Ducks for yeah. the final playoff spot, Dennis. So I think you have yeah. to pay attention to what they're doing. Agreed, because I don't think they're going to either lose one of these teams is going to be um, a wild card team. So you're looking at the at the three, right? So that's uh, that that could be, but it depends. Like if Van ha if Edmonton's not going to bounce back and Calgary plays, you know those nine those ninety home games when they only win seventy of them, what's going to happen with respect to you know division? But I agree with you. I think they're going to be in the battle for that final three. All right, Dennis. They're going out on the road, a big road trip. Any any uh, any prognostications anything you want to lay down and put on the board yeah, and sign up for I, I just think john like the next 12 games 11 are on the road i think if you come back in six and six you split them 500 i think you gotta be happy uh, you look at some of those games some are definitely winnable like new jersey uh, off the bat um detroit uh some of them are going to be bigger tasks like the rangers even though they beat the rangers at home so to me i think you got to be happy with if the next dozen games which i think is going to make their make or break their season it's six and six i would sign for what about you uh, I, I'd like to see a little bit more, Dennis, and here's why. I think okay. if, it comes back to that one game again. If I think if they would have won, they would have found a victory in one of these three previous mm -hmm, games, sure. then I would have been like, okay, three and three on this next yep. six would have been fine. But now yep. that you went that three, now because because they won those games, and then I feel like they gave some of it back. Gave back, right? Sure. Not just momentum, but points, right? Yep. They gave right. some. Of, they gave some of that back in these last three games, and so I think to go three and three, while it's nothing to be depressed about, I, I still would sit there and say the same thing that I've been saying for the last two months when people ask me who are the LA Kings and what's their potential, and I say, I don't know because this mm -hmm. team confuses yeah. me every time yep. I start to think, hey, they're going in one direction, ha, -ha swerve, <laughs> they go the other yeah. direction. Every time they start, to, every time they start to sink, and I think, oh boy, here we go, and then. Whoop, they pop back up like a zombie, right? And then, then yep, they start yep. gaining momentum and they start playing really well. And then I go, oh, man, this team's rolling. This team might be onto something. Mm -hmm. Then they swerve yeah. and they go back the other way. So I, I would be disappointed at, at, sure. at 500 at the end of this because I'd be, I just feel like I'm I'm stuck in quicksand, right? I'm, yeah, I'm just, mm -hmm. I don't yeah, I know. So give a little more. You owe it, right? You owe more because yeah. this week the 0-3 was unacceptable. You need to do more. Right. Great. Good. And then you're coming to Ontario. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's on the docket for some time in the next three years.
Dennis, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to leave you with this one last thing. Please. The month of February is the craziest American Hockey League oh, yeah. schedule. The American Hockey imagine. League always has a crazy schedule. It's not as crazy as it used to be where you would play a lot of three and four nights or even three straight games on sure, a weekend. Sure. You'd have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They've moved away from a lot of that stuff, so it's not as nutty as it once was. But check mm -hmm. this out, Dennis. There was no Olympic break in the American Hockey League when they put the schedule together. So this is like a right. normal, regular American Hockey League sure. season. You want to trip out on something? The yeah. Ontario Reign have one home game in the month of February. <laughs> one home game, Dennis. One home game. I don't even understand this, and I don't know why I didn't notice it at the beginning of the year. But the other night, I'm sitting there penciling out my schedule and like trying to put yeah. things together. And okay, when you know where are the Kings, where is this, what's going on? And I look at the February schedule. And I say, wait a minute, they're only home for one game. How is that possible? So essentially, after this weekend, there's only one opportunity. Like in the next six weeks, six weeks, Dennis, in the middle of the yeah. season, after this weekend, a doubleheader against Tucson. One opportunity to see the rain play at home over the next six weeks. That's, that's the same to me. But that's the same for the Kings. They have well, one home game through February 26th. Uh, no, February 15th. Edmonton. Have, yeah, oh, that okay. one home game. Okay. One home game until February. Well, but I was so expecting how, how many How many games do the rain play? Uh, I was expecting like, that, though, Dennis, because the, the, the Olympic breaks. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, that's that's true. That's a good like, point. It's not, it's not You're saying it's a normal schedule. Right, right. There's no, right. There's no interruption. Yeah. How many games did the rain play in, uh, in February? Uh, take a look here. Real quickly, I have the schedule up here. Um, in the month of February. Yeah, they play every weekend. So, I mean, it's normally it's a weekend league, right? So they play. So they put like eight or nine games? Uh, one, two, three, one four, five, game. six, seven, eight. They play nine games total in one of them wow. at home. Yeah, so they play, they play Friday and Saturday the first weekend. They play Friday and Saturday the second weekend. Sure, they play, sure. They play Saturday and Sunday uh, the next week, and then they have a Wednesday game, and then they have sa uh, Saturday and Sunday. So every weekend they have two games, plus they have one weekday game sure. that month. So over the four weekends in February, they play two games every weekend, but there is only wow. one home game. It is against their biggest rival. It's against the uh, the San Diego Gulls, which is coming on mm -hmm. February 20th, President's Day weekend. But see, it flips on you, though, in March, Dennis, because sure. they only they play a ton more games. They play three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They play 11 games, and only three of them are on the road. Um, mm -hmm. So they play a ton of games at home in March. So clear your calendar is what I'm getting at. So enjoy your vacation yeah. in February, Dennis. Yeah, I can't make it. February 20th, I was just going to break the you news can't to make you, it? sadly. I can't make it February 20th. So okay, what do you have going on February 20th? You have to get your hair Something. cut? Yeah, yeah, okay. Something. You got to get a manicure? Something. What are you doing? I got to clean up the dog crap in the backyard. Okay, all right. So it's get that done here. because in March, yeah. you're coming out to March. a game. Okay. We're going to have Kings okay. of the Podcast night. Um, okay. In March, there are one – there's – a ton of games, nine games, eight games, whatever there are. There's a ton of home games at the mm -hmm. garage in Ontario. Lots of great division rivals. They're playing Baco. Mm -hmm. They're playing Henderson, Tucson, San Jose, uh, even Abbotsford. The new Canucks uh, sure. AHL team is going to be there. So a lot going on, Dennis. Yeah, that's a, that's a must-see, Abbotsford. Maybe that'll be the game. No, don't make that the game. Come on. If you're going to come out, not. you need a yeah. Bakersfield or Henderson. You might get to see those silver buckets that the, uh, the, no. the Henderson Silver Knights wear on the road. No, okay. All right, let's Can't wrap. The, let's wrap this up, Dennis. <laughs> thanks to John Andrasic for coming on and spending yep. some time talking about the LA Kings. Dennis, thanks for uh, listening to my rants on uh, social commentary related to the world of hockey, and uh, certainly appreciated your your hot takes. It's good to connect with you again, brother. Yeah, it was a great episode, John. I can't wait for the next one. We'll have to schedule that. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the Kings road trip. Dennis calls three and three. I'm saying four and two. We'll find out who's right in uh, another week or ten days. Have a good one, everybody.
Racing don't belong. Oh my.